Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, fire, flammables, an album that burns continuously. Today, tis the season for us to revisit one of our favorite end-of-year musical topics, holiday albums. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Two years ago, we were joined by film critic and co-host of the Max Fun Film Podcast, Hushacha, Alonzo Duralde. And while we re-ran that episode last year, for 2020, we wanted to come back to the theme with some new picks. And for that, we have a new special guest, music supervisor, Jocelyn Brown. Jocelyn, welcome to Heat Rocks. Hi, it's an honor to be here. I'm really excited. Yes. And to start with, what are your associations with the holidays and also with music? Oh, wow. So Christmas is a bit of a thing in my family. It's my mom's favorite holiday. And by default, it's kind of forcibly become everyone else's favorite holiday. Um, my mom is, her art is decorating Christmas trees. She's she's very great at it. Martha Stewart has a contender. Um, and it's something that she really enjoys doing throughout the year. So we've all kind of caught the spirit in that respect, I guess. I grew up in the panhandle of, of Northwest Florida and, you know, suffice to say there is not much Christmas snow or, or holiday stuff going on that we traditionally associate with the holidays. Um, but there are all the regular things like shopping and going to visit your relatives and, you know, and all that running around, you typically hint, tend to hear a fair amount of music. And, um, I have very vivid memories of being in the car and being excited to go visit all of these people and, you know, songs being on modern R&B radio, Christmas songs. And those are the ones that I tend to mostly associate with my early years. But, you know, as you grow up and you move out into the world and you go to different cities and live in other places, Christmas starts to mean something different. And sometimes you spend those holidays with your friends and you develop new traditions. And there's a bit of that involved, too. As a supervisor... As a music supervisor, have you ever been tasked with finding the perfect Christmas song or the perfect holiday song? Perpetually. <laughs> it's always a thing. And it's always a riff on Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You in some way or another. It's, it's always a modernized Christmas bop that's requested. And how can how can you how can you beat Mariah Carey and that particular jam? That's un you unbeatable. You, you know, you you do your best to find something that the client will be happy with, but you are not beating Miss Carey. <laughs> well, I, I have two I have two related questions here. Sure. One from a professional point of view: mm -hmm. What goes into making an ideal holiday song for placement purposes? So, if you want to use Mariah's as an example, what is it about that song that makes it work? In, in the way that uh, it's supposed to be placed, but also personally for you, Jocelyn, what to you makes for an ideal kind of holiday song? And maybe it's the same answer, but I figured it might go two different ways. Okay. So I'll, I'll answer from the music supervision perspective first. Um, it varies. It varies depending upon the advertisement, but in, you know, in my personal experience, typically people want something high energy, something festive, but something that does not fight with a, a voiceover. Um, mm. And I find that percussion tends to be the common element there. You're usually going to have some sleigh bells somewhere or hand drums of some sort. But also if you're going, you know, Mannheim steamroller with it, you know, you got to get some orchestral elements in there like a French horn. It varies. Um, and, and relative to me and in, in thinking about ideal Christmas songs, I am not a Christmas song traditionalist. I want my Christmas songs, frankly, funky. I, the funkier, the better. The more contemplative and interesting, the better. Um, but I am not a traditionalist at all when it comes to Christmas music. I, I really like Sean Lee's covers of Christmas songs, for example.
Morgan, how about for yourself in terms of same question for you both ways on a professional level? What is it that you see people wanting when they want a, a, a holiday song placed? What are the attributes of it? And how does that, how far or close uh, does that align with your own preferences? I worked on, on a film um, called Life Size 2 with, with, uh, with Tyra Banks and what they wanted, it was set in Atlanta and the, the producers wanted music that was very um, current and, and they, they were interested in trap. So we were looking for trap Christmas songs. And I remember getting that direction. I was like, that's not a thing. Trap Christmas songs is not a thing, <laughs> but okay, you know, we're out here. So I reached out to a library and said, listen, no pressure. Don't blow me out of the water with this one. But do you by chance have trap Christmas carols? And he was like, do we have trap Christmas carols? Right. <laughs> Sent me like 40 songs. And of those 40, like 15 oh. were to like fire. I was like, what is this career that I have? I'm sort of a, a a Christmas songs traditionalist. I like them funky too, but the caveat is Jesus has to be somewhere in there, but also the funk and the soul has to be too. But let's not forget Jesus because we got to play this at home. But I think what makes uh, Mariah Carey's song so hard to beat is it has all those elements. It can it can run over any type of advertisement. If you want something cool, if it's like a Gap ad, it works there. If it's a family thing, a family gathering, a party, it works there. It's got all the things. It's pop and it's soulful. And it's got those Christmas flourishes that you need, sleigh bells, and it's Mariah Carey's vocals. And that's just hard to beat. But you have to know going into the advertisement, you won't be able to afford Mariah Carey. So you sure better <laughs> find something um, to replace that and that right quickly. In a way, that song has kind of become synonymous with Christmas for me because I don't feel like it's really the holiday season until I hear that song. Um, 100%. Last time we did this, uh, one of these specials, which was two years ago, we I'm pretty sure we got into this whole conversation around just the canon of holiday music. And Jocelyn, I think you put it beautifully there, which is that it doesn't feel like the holidays until certain things enter into that rotation. So whether you're at a cafe or you're driving and it's on the radio or wherever you're hearing it, there's certain songs that just mark the season. And this was, I was thinking about this earlier about how really there's only two kinds of, to me, seasonal music. There's summer songs and then there's holiday songs, which at least in the Northern hemisphere, you know, is, is associated with wintertime. And we have done specials here in Heat Rocks on both summer songs and holiday songs. My question for each of you here, if you could only listen to one or the other, would you prefer to be stuck with summer songs or to be stuck with holiday songs? I would say holiday songs. Mm. I'd say holiday songs because I think in holiday songs, you get so many variations on the theme that cover everything that you need from a genre. If your only thing is jazz, there are jazz Christmas songs aplenty, all your favorite artists. Um, if you want funky Christmas songs, we've got that covered. Some of them are just instrumentals. So if you're not even really into Christmas, everyone can agree that this is fire. And if, you're, if your thing is the Lord, you've got that covered. And I think holiday songs, by their design, are meant to conjure up something that's precious and sentimental and memorable and warm. And you need that, despite what season it is. Where summer songs, if you're not having a good summer, nothing, there's, to me, nothing that a summer song can do to make you feel better about your summer. Whereas if you're not having a good year, you can put on, on some holiday music and at least you'll have your nostalgia. Whatever genre turns you on, you'll at least have that. So for me, leave me alone with any version of White Christmas and I think I'll feel good, no matter what genre it is. Whereas I'm on the flip and I, I hate to be the one to put a damper on the proceedings, but I love oh. a good summer song. Like to yeah. me, that can carry me through a year. Um, if for no other reason, everyone knows that feeling of like, it's not cold anymore. It's getting warm out. 
everybody's going to be out. You're excited to see your friends. What's that song that's a motivator for you, right? And for me, that feeling when you find that song that's your summer jam or a series of songs that, that fit that bill for you, man, you can groove on those feelings for a while. Like I, I, I definitely have had a few of those in, in my winter rotation. <laughs> but see, I, I love cold weather. I'm, I'm a West Coaster, but I'm not a huge fan of the sun. I just like it su okay. sunny enough to wear shades, but cold enough to wear leather. So when Christmas songs come up for me, it's just like, oh, it's getting cold again, even from a West Coast perspective. So that's why for me, summer songs remind me of my least favorite season, which is the summer. So that's that's <laughs> so, that's for me. That's my thing. So you're saying that that holiday songs basically give you a feel they trigger a feeling of coziness and warmth and togetherness for you. That's it. Got that's it. it. I can understand. I'm like, that. oh my god, it's always a good feeling. It's jacket and boots time, you know. Then I'm like, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm ready. As opposed to running up the bill on your AC because yeah. it's <laughs> triple digits outside. Um, I'm pretty unequivocally team summer. Uh, I think part of it is, and it's not that I don't like holiday songs, and we'll get into this sort of, sort of the specifics on that in a moment. But I think partly because, as someone who grew up in an immigrant household, I mean, my parents, I think made a very earnest attempt at giving me and my sister kind of like classic American Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. So we have, you know, most of the accoutrement, like the, the trees and all these other stuff, but it wasn't really like a tradition that felt like it was a tradition. It just felt like my parents wanted to, to assimilate. They wanted to blend in into American culture. And so they wanted to sort of introduce these things to um, the family, but in a way that never felt organic in the same way where, like my wife's family, for example, um, you know, they're, they're fourth, gen my wife's fourth generation Japanese American. So she's probably more American than a lot of Americans are in terms of how long the, their family's been here. And so for them, Thanksgiving, Christmas are big, big holidays because they grew up in Americana in a way that I didn't really quite as, as the child of immigrants. And so holiday music to me, it signals certain kinds of things around nostalgia and around um, you know, very positive associations, which again, we'll talk about in just a moment, but I don't have an attachment to it or the season in the same way. Whereas to me, summer songs that marked my relationship to music in general, holiday songs never felt like they belonged to me. Um, I will freaking stake a claim on summer songs as being something that I'm invested in, that I have written a lot about over the years. I've invited other people to write about. So I love just the idea of summer songs. Um, which is not to, again, not to denigrate holiday songs at all, but if I had to choose between the two, that's the way that I'm going to lean. Let's switch gears back to what we're here to talk about, which is our, some of our favorite holiday albums. And the format that we came up with is that we each chose a central holiday album, but you know, if you listen to our show, you know, we, we got, we always got those honorable mentions here. And so we wanted to make sure that um, each of us had at least a couple of honorable mentions to throw into the mix and Jocelyn as our guest would you care to start us off with what are your honorable mention holiday jams? Sure. So my honorable mention holiday jams, um, I love Otis Redding's Merry Christmas, Baby. Um, oh, yes. That's that's always just been such an energetic, fun song to me. Merry Christmas, baby. Should it treat me nice? If I can say, it's not that I have ever felt like I slept on Otis Redding, but he's not someone that I listen to as frequently compared to some other giants of, of soul music. But anytime I hear him, I'm just reminded of how just incredible he was, which also, right. of course, then makes me think of the, the tragedy and losing him so young. Mm -hmm. But, oh my God, was he good. So, Jocelyn, what is it about this song that does it for you? There's so much power in his voice and, you know... I am a I'm a fan of Christmas songs where it's clear that somebody's kind of you you know maybe been away for a while and they're even more appreciative of the fact that they're home and with their loved ones. Um, but it you can't help but feel the same degree of enthusiasm that he has throughout the song after you've heard that song, and it makes you really want to fall into the spirit of Christmas and be giving and be joyous and and basically just spend time with your loved ones and be grateful for what you have. I'll 
And the second one that I, I have been loving here recently is Krung Bin's cover of the Peanuts favorite, Christmas Time is here. And then tell us more about this cover of Christmas Time is Here that you chose, uh, Jocelyn. You know, that kind of popped up out of the ether um, maybe one or two years back. I've always, always connected that song with, with Peanuts and a Charlie Brown Christmas. And just through the magic of social media, I saw that Krung Bin had done a cover of this song. And they're one of my favorite bands. And um, it was just a really nice surprise to hear that cover version from them as a treat. It's, it's more laid back. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just a, a very easy grooving version of a song that we've all come to know and love relative to Christmas. That's just so classic to their sound. Yeah. psychedelic soul laid back dubby that's just them they're one of my favorite bands too so shout out to to houston texas shout out to houston texas and the infamous barn you know krung bin are a, ba a band until very recently they haven't had very much vocalization going on with their music and to me this was very much a surprise to even hear them singing and harmonizing together and i was like okay that's a Christmas miracle right there. And, and fortunately, with their most recent work, we've been able to hear more of that. So it was kind of a precursor to something really beautiful. And I don't know, I, I love everything about that song. I, I tend to listen to it on repeat. I don't know the band at all, but I'm glad that you all are here. So I now know how to pronounce their name correctly, because I was kind of staring at it on the page thinking like, how do you, how does this pronounce number one? Number two, you know, this is, this was a really pleasant surprise because uh, as I discussed on our last holiday special uh, two years ago, the, the original Vince Guaraldi soundtrack was my album pick and, and I hold that album very, very high esteem. And so someone deigning to cover something from it, I'm going to be a little bit inherently skeptical on GP, but that sounded really nice. Yeah, I really love that song. <laughs> and, I, and I love the band and, and you're right. I think we were waiting for them to vocalize because they certainly didn't sing. They certainly didn't sing a lot on the universe smiles upon you. But with the, this last album of Mordecai, they, they, they're giving us something. And I, and I had the, the pleasure to, to hear them uh, in LA at the lodge a couple of years ago and they ended with an all LA set like they played songs from the chronic so you have to imagine this band playing gin and juice and I was like oh man if any if there was ever time to stage dive tonight would be it I didn't because I had stilettos on but at the time I thought they are in here killing so so to hear this covers a, is uh is one to get excited about so thank you for pick, picking this so from one JB to another what was your album? What is your central album pick here? My central album pick is actually a compilation called James Brown's Funky Christmas. Mm. A big happy smile on everybody's face. <laughs> At Christmas time. Give me some gold fire. And let me wipe a big happy smile on everybody's face. <laughs> so why this album? You know, you see a completely different side of James Brown. I, you know, it's it's kind of strange to say this, but I I am not a big Christmas person. It takes me a little while to get into the swing of things, but there's something about this album that is just irrefutable to me. Um, if for no other reason than imagining James Brown at Christmas time, like rocking a Santa suit, maybe, and and being benevolent James Brown Santa Claus like that image alone is enough to carry me into okay if the godfather of soul can get into the Christmas spirit you have no excuse get into it and um go power at Christmas time I love this song first of all I always love whenever he gives Bobby Bird a shout out because Bobby Bird did some heavy lifting let's shout put out, some Bird. respect on the man's name and um 
you know, if Bobby Bird, your main elf helping you out, you got to get it done. And throughout the rest of that song, you know, he gives Christmas its, its proper due, but he goes on to ramble about road life throughout the song. And I've always really had this fascination or, or at least preoccupation with the idea of what do people do at Christmas time if they have jobs that won't let them come home to their families, if they're out handling business on behalf of their loved ones, like what is Christmas like for those people? And this song kind of gives you a very strange window into the world of James Brown and affiliated bands and, and what that must be like for them. So I always kind of enjoyed that song a little bit. Say, man, give me my Christmas present. Yeah, honey. Can I get my thing, man? Yeah. Okay, okay, brother. Let everybody go and do his thing. Y'all go and do y'all thing. We gonna slip on out here. We played a lot of we played a lot of R and B Christmas and and uh, gospel Christmas around. James Brown didn't get played unless we went to another uncle's house who clearly didn't love the Lord as much. Uh, and so we would hear him then. My associations, my thoughts about James Brown was always the covers of the albums because either he had on the ill Christmas sweater or he had the Christmas hat on top of his afro. And then some of the titles of the songs that I would, that I knew from looking at the albums sneaking over to the side. Santa Claus goes straight to the ghetto. Uh, this is my lonely Christmas. So it was always like, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be a funky good time to quote him. Uh, so that's just my association, just like, the, all the all the uh, the mystery to me around James Brown as a kid, like this is a crazy guy. This is a crazy guy. <laughs> and Christmas for me was 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 no different because of you have to look at these albums. And for people that are listening, go right now and look at his sweet little baby boy, the cover of that James Brown sings Christmas. So you'll know what I'm talking about and what that was like to see as a little kid. So, yeah, we right. didn't we didn't hear it regularly until we went to that one uncle's house. May he rest in peace, Uncle Tadpole. Um Love the Lord, but just didn't hang didn't hang out with him. So yeah. Wow, I I never realized that James Brown would be on the Prince level of questionability in terms of the the, the Morgan household in terms of uh, what, what's allowed in or out. So well, you have uh, to think it, it, in 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 that family it was either you you're gonna play Johnny Mathis or you're gonna play James Brown, and usually James Brown was an evening choice and a choice informed by dark liquor. Uh, Johnny Mathis eggnog, <laughs> James Brown eggnog with dark liquor. So little there you have it. little spike in there. Low key. If a carol could rhyme and make the darkness shine, let's celebrate with a chime and let the whole world deny. Jocelyn, I'm wondering why this compilation, in, as it compared to, let's say, you know, James Brown's Soulful Christmas from, what, I think, 68, or uh, he had a 1970s or early 70s Christmas album, too, called Hey America, Yeah. Um, uh, both of which, I mean, I think the comp that you mentioned has songs from both of those, but um, was right. there a particular, did you stumble across this compilation in particular, or was it something that you grew up listening to? This was just the first one of his that I stumbled across and, and saw fairly frequently. Yeah. Um, the other two I'm not so familiar with, but I'm looking forward to digging into them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just just the just imagining James Brown relative to Christmas is it, there was a level of cognizant <laughs> cognitive dissonance there where I was like, okay, I have to get into this. I have to see what this is about. Yeah. Right. No, I think that's a great point because when you, I think the first time I ever stumbled across um, specifically Soulful Christmas, which I don't know if that was his first Christmas album. I think it's certainly his best known. I mean, he's he's on the cover in a Santa suit, which again, <laughs> to your point, not something we typically associate with the Godfather. Um, but what's other, what, what's, what's also notable about this, and this goes back to the, the point that you were making earlier about just James Brown putting a very distinctive spin that, you know, it's unquestionably him. And it's not just, just because of the Sonics, but I didn't realize until I, I got a copy of, of Soulful Christmas that the original LP that say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud came out on was a soulful Christmas. And of course, I don't think of say wow. it loud as being a, a holiday song, right? 
And I, I forget what the story was in terms of why was it placed here and not on a, its own LP. But for whatever reason, it opened side B. And this, of course, is like one of the anthems of the nascent black power movement in the late 1960s. And it appears on a James Brown Christmas album where he's dressed up as Santa Claus. We're tired of beating our head against the wall and working for someone else. For any other artist, I feel like that would seem incongruous, but somehow with with James Brown, nothing can seem that incongruous, just given the kind of mercurial nature of him as an artist. You know, I didn't even know that history, but I'm willing to bet, given Wiley JB being JB, that he knew what he was doing, Yeah, and that maybe for yeah. him and his heart, that was his gift to not just Black people, but the American people. Maybe that is where he was coming from with it. The cover art itself is a gift to American people, <laughs> to black people, and to JB fans, 100%. Um, all right, so switching back to our main topic here around holiday albums uh, and holiday music. So um, I have two honorable mentions, and the first is a song that I've been spending a lot of time with for professional reasons over the last uh, month or so, and that is Donny Hathaway's This Christmas from 1970 and 71. Hang all the mistletoe, I'm gonna get to know you better. Christmas and as we trim the tree how much fun it's gonna be together. So I have spent a lot a lot of 2020 researching Donny Hathaway because I wrote liner notes to the reissue of his debut album Everything is Everything that by the time this episode airs I think it actually might be out it's uh, through Vinyl Me Please uh, and then also last month, uh, in, and when we're taping this in October, I mean, I got to do some extra research on this Christmas specifically for an entirely different project. And there's certainly worse things that one could do with their time than spend a lot of time listening and researching Donny Hathaway uh, and just the magic of, of his brief, uh, tragically brief, but just incredible, incredible uh, musical offerings. And I think what what makes this song so special beyond just the kind of the circumstances behind its creation, the fact that it was not, depending on who you ask, and I've, I've heard very different things, it either was or was not an instant hit in 1970, and I've heard it both ways, that one was that it was a slow burner. Um, his the, the person who helped to, to co-produce it, Rick Powell, insists that it, was, it actually was charting in, in many cities when it came out. Either way, regardless of all that, I think what's remarkable about this Christmas is that, and we were talking about Mariah Carey, you know, a few minutes ago, it is really hard to put any kind of new song into the pantheon of holiday music that, that was established kind of, uh, around World War II. Right. And, you know, you count the number of songs that were recorded after, let's say, I don't know, 1960 that managed to now become in that rotation. It's a really, really small select list. Mariah Carey's, you know, all I want for Christmas is you that certainly made it in there. But so did Donnie's This Christmas. And whether it, it was instantaneous or it took the better part of, of 10 plus years, either way, I don't think there's any denying This Christmas is, has now become part of that canon. And I'm wondering, you know, look, this is not a song that I grew up with myself, but I'm wondering for each of you, was this something that was in heavy rotation in your own households growing up? Yes. And everybody black will say the same thing. Because this is what you heard. You heard it on urban contemporary radio stations throughout the country. It wasn't a regional thing. It's not a West or East or Midwest or South. It's a black song, a black song that's going to be heard on, on, uh, on radio stations. And, and, and uh, growing up, this was the song that people sang in talent shows. You know, you, you, you sang that at the end of holiday Christmas programs. Um, mm. it, 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 is, it is entrenched in black culture. I know Jocelyn can... Um, co-sign on this and it's just something that you expected to hear it was a telltale sign that Christmas was coming and it made covers um, it put so much pressure on covers because no matter how well you sang it Donnie's is and was the standard there's just yeah. some there's something about it 
And it is, and I speak about some of my earliest musical memories, but this song is also one of them. I can remember the first day that I heard it, where I was, and uh, that's how that's how heavy that song weighs in terms of my my musical memories and, and growing up as a kid, falling in love with music. This song is a part of that. But so, like, tell us where where were you? Like, what was where where did this, how did this song enter into your life? You know, I actually was, it was in LA. I was a, a, a wee child. I'm not going to get into the specifics of the year or anything because that's my business. Of course. Of course. Um, but, but I was actually, um, I grew up in South Central LA, uh, uh, Slauson and Crenshaw around, around the same place, Nipsey Hustle, um, lived and died. But I was in that neighborhood. I was going to, um, it's, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was a fast food place called Pub and Taco. And we were going to get some food. And it was the first time, and my mother was driving, and it was the first time that I heard that song. And it might have been on on 103.9 KACE, but I just remember being like, good Lord. It was just like love at at first listen, as I like to say. And so it sticks with me. I remember what I ordered. I remember my brother and I just loving the song, and I remember my mom turning it up. So it's it's precious to me. Presents and cards are here. My world is filled with cheer and you. This Christmas and as I look around, your eyes outshine the town that you. You know, I remember where I was the first time I heard the song. We were in the family Camaro. My mom drove a Camaro. She and I were in the car. And okay, number one, shout out to your mom for having a family Camaro. Yes. <laughs> Not yes. some like super safe, boring sedan. <laughs> yes. Mom's cruising. She's got that V8 going like vroom, vroom, baby. All right. It was ice blue with black leather seats. I remember. Woo! Yes. Um, it was a great car. And we had a lot of fun in that car when I was a small child. But I remember hearing this. We were on our way to pick up Christmas presents and I'd never heard anything like this song and this person's voice in particular. It was so rich and so warm. And I remember being in the seat and like kind of shuffling around a bit. And I turned to my mom. I was like, who is this? <laughs> and she's like, oh, his name is Donnie Hathaway. He's he's a famous musician. I was like, really? And she's like, yeah. He plays the piano very well. And I, I remember being very excited about that and, and really kind of trying to imagine what is Christmas like at Donny Hathaway's house? I want to go over there. What's going on? And, um, you know, it just sparks the sense of wonder in me every time I hear that song because I kind of associate it with that moment. But I also, frankly, associate it with this sense of community and that, yeah, as Morgan said, Every black person in America knows this song and and you can't help but feel happy when you hear it because you're imagining families everywhere else getting ready for the holidays and hopefully having as as good of a Christmas as you're about to have. Well, number one, thank you to both of you for sharing those, those kind of intimate personal family details. It's amazing to me that both of you remember the first time you heard a song. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about how powerful a song is when you can, you know, cite that 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 moment of, of encounter, um, and from what I know, and just on the basis of, of having researched the history behind it, I mean that is a, probably went above and beyond what Donnie was hoping for, which that he wanted to create a black Christmas song because the only thing that was really out there was Nat King Cole, of course, um, singing his one, but that was not a song that he wrote. You know that that came from I'm, I believe probably from the Tin Pan Alley tradition. So even though it's a black singer, it it was not a black composer. And, and on that level, I want to make sure to p- give a big shout out to the person who actually wrote the song, which is Nadine McKinner, who was if I if I have my research right, was a part time postal worker in Chicago who on sort of by an accident of fate was invited in because uh, Donnie wanted to, to create a, a, a black Christmas. Th- Christmas anthem. Someone overheard him say this, who happened to be putting in flooring or carpeting in the studio and said, Hey, my friend Nadine wrote one. Maybe you should talk to her. And so they got together. Donnie liked the lyrics, put the music to it. And the rest, as they say, is history. Um, and speaking of checks, I, I think it took her a while to get her the legal uh, rights around it secured. But finally, I mean, this is something what we, in terms of talking about being able to live off of the success of one single composition. I think she, at this point now, 
finally, now that she's got her legal things uh, straight, uh, has, is doing uh, hopefully pretty well with it. But uh, just an incredible song. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, so many artists want to create an anthem. 99.9% of the time, they're not going to succeed. You can't, you can't just spin one out of whole cloth and, and make it happen. The circumstances have to be right to allow it to happen. Um, and in the case of this Christmas, that's exactly what went down. Uh, whether, again, whether it was short-term or long-term is, is debatable. But as both of you can attest to, I mean, it, it, it reached that level. I mean, it is an anthem. It absolutely yes. is. Yes. It's one of the best. My other honorable mention is a lot, a lot more obscure. It's a song called Black Christmas, and it's by a group uh, called Musad and the Warm Expressions, uh, released, I don't have exact year, but my guess is in the late 1960s on the Nairobi label, not Nairobi, but Nairobi. There's no first I in the title. See, that might have been early 70s from the instrumentation. Anyways, another attempt, less successful than Donnie's, I think, to create a new Black Christmas anthem. And I found this 45 at a record store in Highland Park here in Los Angeles, but I noticed on the label, it had an address that said um, Nairobi, California. And I was thinking, I don't know of a town or city called Nairobi in, in the state. And I did some research and realized it's because back in the late 60s, it was a nickname um, that people had for East Palo Alto up in the Bay Area, which by that point in time, largely because of the forces of segregation, had become a predominantly black neighborhood. And there was a movement in the late 60s to rename East Palo Alto as Nairobi, uh, which did not end up happening because we still call it East Palo Alto. But this 45 is just a remnant of that moment in history. And I just wow. love kind of these little history lessons that come accidentally through a single record. And Musad and the and the warm expressions with, again, their attempt at creating a Black Christmas album, uh, representing this sort of moment of, of pro-Black identity um, in you know uh, uh, this uh, Black neighborhood up in the Barrier. This is all a remnant of that, and uh, just kind of a, a, a cool little tune with a fascinating backstory. Shout out to Nairobi, all right? Let's shout out Nairobi. Yeah, I wish they actually had passed that, because that would yes. have been, been pretty dope. It's, it's, a little, it's a lot sexier than... East Palo Alto. No, no, no offense to EPA. Like that's cool, like, but that would have been nice if they had been able to pull that off, renaming it. Hundred percent. Which which record store did you find it at? Did you shout it out? Uh, Avalon, which is a thrift store, record store with also a lot of vintage clothing. And uh, they, I haven't been there in a minute, but they had pretty good forty fives. And this one instantly caught my eye. Anything that looks local, I'm like, all right, I need to hear this. And you know, a funky black Christmas anthem from Nairobi, California. Like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> shouts to Avalon, shouts to Nairobi, and shouts to black folks. We will be back with more of our holiday music special with our guest, Jocelyn Brown, after a brief word from our sibling Max Fun podcast. Keep it locked. Friendly Fire is a podcast about war movies, but it's so much more than that. It's history. It was just supposed to be another assignment. It's comedy. Under no circumstances are you to engage the enemy. It's cinema studies. It's a hell of a combination. So subscribe and download Friendly Fire on your podcatcher of choice. Or at MaximumFun.org. 
We interrupt the podcast you're listening to to tell you about another podcast. That's right. We got this with Mark and Hal. That's correct, Mark. This is Hal. We do the hard work for you, settling all of the meaningless arguments you have with your friends. So tune in every week on the Maximum Fun Network for We Got This with Mark and Hal. And all your questions will be asked and answered. You're welcome. All right. That's enough of that. We got this. Heat Rockers, if you recall back in October when we were celebrating our third anniversary, we mentioned that we had gotten some custom 45 adapter slash weights made featuring Megan Cott's pin design from last year for Heat Rocks. Well, for a limited time, we have those adapters now available for sale to anyone who wants them. Between now and the end of the year, you can find them through our website at heatrockspod.com. All profits from the sale will be donated to the LA Downtown Women's Center. I need to stress that this is a limited time sale, mostly because we need to make a bulk order to get these produced and shipped back to us from the good folks at the SureShot shop. Again, our special Heat Rocks 45 adapter slash weights are now available through the end of 2020. Visit heatrockspod.com to order. Thank you for supporting us and for supporting the Downtown Women's Center. We are back on Heat Rocks talking about holiday music with our guest, music supervisor, Jocelyn Brown. So for my holiday album, as I mentioned the first half, last time I brought in the eternally classic Vince Guaraldi soundtrack for A Charlie Brown Christmas, which to me is an LP that communicates warmth and heart and this touch of melancholy. And this year I'm throwing all of that sentimental-ish out the window and I'm going with satire and parody, which of course has to mean Dr. Demento presents the greatest Christmas novelty CD of all time. Oh, yes, go nuts at Christmas when each kid hangs up his sock. It's a time for kids to flip their lids while their papa goes in hock. This was originally one of the many volumes in Dr. Demento's long-running Greatest Novelty Songs of All Time series, and this a volume originally came out in 1985, but I'm assuming that it sold so well that they ended up four years later adding four new songs to the playlist and then rebranding it as the greatest no- Christmas novelty CD of all time. You can tell this must have come out in the 80s because they, sp- they don't say novelty album. They say novelty CD uh, specifically. But in any case, if you were like me and you grew up in L.A., in the 1980s, and you were listening to K-Rock, which we've talked many times before here on Heat Rocks, you 100% would have heard uh, quite a few songs off of this specific album every holiday season. It was like clockwork. And while I don't generally spend a lot of quality time listening to novelty songs, in the ways in which we've talked about here, the way in which holiday songs in particular are these triggers for nostalgia, for taking us back to a particular time and place in our youth or childhood, whatever. The holiday songs, whether it's it's something super classical like Jingle Bells or like Donny Hathaway That's Christmas or whatever else or Vince Guaraldi, these parody songs, because they were part of the childhood that I grew up with listening to the radio, also very much function as a nostalgia trip. And There's no better example of this than I think perhaps the best known song off of this uh, album, which is Elmo and Patsy's Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa as for me and Grandpa, we believe. I just want to acknowledge that we are now on the opposite spectrum, the racial, the opposite of the racial spectrum that we began with the, the songs that we've been talking about since we started the show. Uh, but nonetheless, even if this is like one of the whitest songs you will have ever heard, um, what I love about Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, and I think this is, it says something about how you, you pull off a good holiday parody song, is that to me, it has to walk this fine line between, on the one hand, it needs to be kind of sardonic enough to be funny, but it can't be mean because a mean song undermines the point of holiday music itself, which is to feel somewhat warm and fuzzy. And I think, sure, on paper, you know, a song about elderly people being run down by a squad of reindeer maybe doesn't inherently sound warm and fuzzy, but the song is playful enough 
it's not really violent in any real way. And uh, so I think it still works as a holiday song, even a funny holiday song. That said, I'm not a grandmother, and maybe if I were, I would feel differently about this tune. I'm, I'm wondering if either of you grew up listening to this at all, or am I just on my own island right now? This song is much beloved in the Brown family. All right. Good to know. <laughs> as much as Donny Hathaway? Uh, not as much as Donny Hathaway, <laughs> and slightly less so than Boris Karlov's You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Okay. What are your what are your respective takes on holiday parody songs? Because you both of you have have brought great sincerity to this discussion, and I feel like I'm upturning a lot of that sincerity. You know, at, at least relative to me, I love a good holiday parody song. Um, there's a fair amount of secular Christmas going on in my family, so several of my aunts are, are Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, my grandmother was the Southern Baptist and then everyone else just kind of falls in where they can, if they fall in at all. And, um, you know, Christmas is also a time of merriment, you know, and, and that's kind of the prevailing spirit surrounding the holiday in my family is, is that, you know, it's a time to make merry. It's a time to reflect on the previous year and and be grateful and share in that, um, and obviously, if people are that excited and happy, you know, there's definitely jokes abound. And Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer definitely fits within that realm, for sure. You know I didn't hear this um, growing up in the house. <laughs> and just the threat of someone's grandmother getting run over, you just that just wasn't getting played at the crib. Now, I know they were playing those, you know, those types of songs on, on, on K-Rock and Kiss and stuff like that. So shout out to those radio stations. But no, this wasn't getting bumped at the uh, bumped at the house. But I mean, did you hear it growing up at all? As I did. You listen to those stations. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. And it was also around like it was those types of songs. Like, you know, there was another one, I think, about all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. I would hear that a lot on uh, on the radio. No but, doubt. No you doubt. know what I'm saying? Those just weren't getting getting bumped at the house. And I'm wondering, what is your take on parody holiday songs as as a genre, if you will? I mean, in a word, nah. <laughs> nah. Yeah. Mm-mm. You you like yours to be kind of sincere. I do. I do. Yeah. I do. And I, and and because of the how I mentioned before about how I feel about Christmas and holiday right. songs, I just need I need all that. I need that nostalgia. I need that warmth. I need, you know, some spirituality with mine. I need some some funk. I need some, you know, no, no parodies. And, you know, not to not to take away from them, but they they, they just are not going to get bumped. I I respect that. I mean, it, it makes sense because this. I think, as I was saying a moment ago, this is the fine line that I think a um, you know, a, a parody song for specifically a Christmas parody song has to walk is that it can't take you so far outside of what holiday music is supposed to do because it kind of in a sense defeats its purpose but of course it can't be too too sincere because then it ceases to become a parody um i think this my my other pick off of here and this is probably the biggest hit that was featured on this dr demento album in terms of actual charting um is it's and it has i think kind of entered into that christmas music uh, canon that we we're talking about 1958 the high-pitched parody the chipmunk song by Alvin and the Chipmunks. I see y'all swaying in the Zoom. All right, kind yep. of feeling this. Yep. Um, First of all, if people want to do a deep dive on the history of the novelty song in American pop history, please check out friend of the pod, Chris Malamphy's Hit Parade podcast episode, all about novelty songs that I think uh, maybe came out about a year or so ago. And it's hard to believe, I think at least from a 2020 perspective, but novelty songs used to be legitimate chart toppers. And the Chipmunks, the Chipmunk song not only was a number one billboard hit, but it racked up three Grammys that year. Um, which is just a reminder to you all that the Grammys ain't. <laughs> but look, I mean, this, the Chipmunk song, to me, it's kind of funny. It's definitely kind of stupid, but it's also kind of charming. And I think it has managed through the passage of time. And maybe it's, we've just been browbeat to, to death with it because we hear it so often now. 
at this point, it actually kind of just works as a holiday song on its own merits, even if it is also, I think, inarguably rather silly. All right, last but never least, Morgan Rhodes, bring us home. Number one, what are your honorable mentions, first of all? Um, I'm not going to have Christian play this, but I just have to, it wouldn't be me if I didn't mention um, Boys to Men and Brian McKnight, uh, Let It Snow. That's not on the mm-hmm. script, but I couldn't get out of here without mentioning that and because we did our whole thing on, on Boys to Men. But that's one of the ones that came came later, but it's one that you always hear. But my, yeah. tr- my true honorable mentions are, one, The Carpenter's, and a song from their mm. album called It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. It came upon a midnight clear That glorious song of old From angels bending near the earth I mean, the harmonies and the blends and some of the things that Karen Tongson was talking about when she came on the show to talk about the Carpenters, a song for you, and how much of the credit for the sound, you know, we we, we, we tend to to give Karen, all the, the other Karen, all the flowers for her vocals, and she well deserves it. But we got to spend some time with R.C. and some of that production. And that's yeah. him and some of that 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 echoey vocal layering and those arrangements, that's all him. I wasn't even aware of this album until preparing for this chat. And of all the songs on that album, I kept, I kept coming back to that one because it's just a, a masterclass to me in vocal harmonies and arrangements. And some interesting studio effects too, in terms of, I always get reverb and echo confused, but there's definitely something going on there just to add to the atmosphere of their performance. So uh, it just kind of, it, it takes already the harmonizing the Carpenters are known for and then just amps it up to 11. A hundred percent. And the fact that it, it just hits, it opens the album, it hits, you got, you know, and then it just swoons over to another, to another song. I think it's just beautiful. If you're a fan of the Carpenters, you're going to love this even more. If you're not, it's just a great, if you don't know anything else about them, this is a great song to start with, to just tell you about what they were able to do arrangement and production wise. And then how about your second your second honorable mention? My second honorable mention is Robert Glasper and Mosina, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. It was never actually released. I think I found it on a blog. And I don't know that I was looking for Christmas um, material the night. That I think I was just looking for stuff to play on my show. But I'm a gigantic fan of both Robert Glasper and also Mosina, who should be credited for being sort of one of the architects of the whole future future soul sound, um, you know, a triple, you know, thread a, a producer, a singer, a beat maker. She was one of the first of the you know women beat makers that we are aware of. And even though she's not from LA, she's from the DMV area. She had quite an influence on that sound. And of course, everybody knows who Robert Glasper is. So it was sort of the best of two worlds. Um, Lucina went on to sing with Foreign Exchange, but right around the time that this song came out. She was working on her own material, and I was surprised that they ended up working on this together. But I think it's one of the prettiest covers of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. Jazzy and beautiful Christian. But when to Bethlehem they came, where at this infant lay, they found him in a manger where oxen feed on She did the beats on that, and he did all the rest of the all the rest of the production. So, I would love to hear a Robert Glasper Christmas album or a Musina Christmas album. But in lieu of that, I'm just happy that that we got this, and I really think Musina deserves more flowers than she gets. Because as I said, when the beat scene was happening here in LA in 06, 07, 08, Musina was at the forefront of that, and we don't get some of these other kids uh, unless we get Musina. So I just want to give her her love on that. All right, Morgan. So what is the main event for you? The Clark Sisters and Mm. the Family Christmas LP. 
until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, 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 rejoice Emmanuel, shall come to the always Twinkie, Dorinda, Karen, Jackie, the Clark sisters. And as you can tell by some of my picks, I guess I have an affinity for four-part harmonies and, and harmonic arrangements and blends. This to me is, um, it could have been super gospel-y because it's the Clark sisters, but it, it, it isn't 100% gospel. It's got those moments of just acapella harmonies, and this is the sound that Maddie Moss Clark built for her daughters. As we saw in the on the Lifetime special this year, uh, with the Clark sisters, the First Ladies of Gospel, we know where that sound came from and that she built it. And to see them carry this over into um, into this album was really beautiful for me. Karen Karen Clark Sheard's daughter Kiara Sheard is featured on as as is her nephew Jay Moss. So there are a lot of you know gospel Christmas albums. Um, Kirk Franklin has one of the biggest biggest of them, and there are a lot more. But this one is something that I discovered really recently. And again, um, for fans of the Clark sisters that know their story, Detroit's large gospel family, and the sound that really was created by Maddie Moss Clark for her daughters and what they've built their careers on, uh, not just that they can sing, but the way that they do harmonies is present on this album. So that's one of my favorite jams from that album, and I think the other one would be Silver Bells if we could hear a little bit of that. That one's all Jesus. So that one is uh, is uh, really churchy and very typical of the Clark sisters' sound, and and I just and I just love them um, as a group. And I'm glad that they're getting their shine now, and that the story um, of how they came into prominence as as the first ladies of gospel has been told. But yeah, this is a really um, gorgeous album. Bill Moss, Drew Sheard, Kiara Sheard, Jay Moss, and the Clark sisters. As someone who is very much ignorant of most of their catalog, besides that one killer joint that Jay-Z sampled, can you just describe, <laughs> just briefly describe what is, when you talk about the Clark Sisters sound, what is it that you're talking about? I'm talking about um, a breakdown of vocals that goes just beyond soprano, alto, and tenor. That these four ladies, to me, have just taken four parts of the soprano and made them new individual four-part harmonies and that there's a distinctive sound between Karen and Dorinda and Jackie and Twinkie. And heretofore, even with gospel quartets of, of the of the old days, this is something different. I don't know the best way to describe it is, is there's a really pristine quality to their voices that lend themselves to operating, hanging out in this one pitch. And the way they move from point to point in their vocals is something that no one else does like the Clark sisters. All you have to hear is like Jesus is a love song or he brought the sunshine, even he brought the sunshine. There's just something that they're able to do with their harmonies. And I guess if you wanted a more eloquent description, you need to talk to an ethnomusicologist, but there is something that they've been able to do specifically with their harmonies that no one else does. The way that they separate them, the way that they blend, the way that they trade off between different parts of the soprano is something specific to the Clark sisters. Christmas, Christmas time is here. Time for joy and time for cheer. We've been good all week. I think we're almost done here, but Jocelyn, as our guest, anything else that you want to add? You know, I just want to revisit my second uh, tr track from the James Brown album, Let's Unite the World at Christmas Time. You know, obviously 2020 has been an insane year, um, unlike anything we've all seen. And, and right. I've really been hanging on to this message of unity, of togetherness 
in a post-COVID world. Um, I think the thing that has gotten me through these last crazy eight months is, is really the idea of being able to reconnect with friends in other places and just building something better. And, and that is, I guess, why this song is kind of resonating with me at this time. Um, you know, obviously there were other choices I could have made relative to that album, but for right now, Let's Unite the World at Christmas Time is, is hitting home for me. If a bell could ring, that make the whole world sing. Let's unite the whole wide world at Christmas time. If a bell could ring, let the whole well. That will do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Jocelyn Brown. Newly relocated back to the Panhandle in Florida. Jocelyn, what are you working on right now that you can share with us? Um, Well, I'm a music supervisor, as I mentioned, and I've been freelance on my own here for a bit. That's been really fun and enjoyable for me. I've also recently started working with International Anthem, a wonderful jazz label based out of Chicago, um, basically running their publishing arm. So those Mm. are the two big things I'm working on right now and also finishing school. Yeah, in political science, as you were telling us political beforehand, science. which seems very timely. Yeah. Very timely. And where can people find you online? Uh, just my website, jocelynmichellebrown.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This was, I mean, it's always fun to do these holiday specials. And so happy holidays to both of you and, of course, to all of our audience members out there. Shout out to our, our, to our producers always. Happy holidays to you as well, Christian. For sure. And uh, hopefully we'll be doing this again, maybe another year or two years down the road. Ho, 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 ho. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.